The following is a message given by Sheldon Campbell, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Well, pleasant morning, Grace Family Church. It's always a blessing to share God's words with you. And, you know, today being our fifth anniversary is quite special as well. All right, so kindly open your Bibles to Acts 9 or locate it on your electronic devices. My sermon today is titled, it's pretty long, Healing and Resurrection of Jesus' Work Through Peter Applies to Us Today. And this is a continuation of our Acts series called Weakness. So let's look to God's word that is divinely inspired and still miraculously healing the brokenhearted and resurrects those dead in sin to save them. As such, help us through your word to increase our hope as we look to that day when we will be raised with Christ too. So Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. No, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means daughter. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to urge Sorry, said two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing the tunic and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And when she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a You know, have you 
Have you ever witnessed a situation that immediately brought up memories of something that had occurred before? Or perhaps you've seen someone recreate a scene of an event on a you know media platform like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and you instantly understood it. It was to make a particular point. Well, in our passage today, I believe something similar is happening. Luke uses two stories from our passage in Acts to reflect a profound truth about a past event, or more precisely, about someone significant. This someone is none other than Jesus himself, and the profound truth is the continuation of his gospel work and ministry through his disciples. As we delve into these narratives, we will see how the miraculous actions of each are not just historical events, but are vibrant, continuing testimonies of Jesus' ongoing presence and power in our lives. You know, in our passage, I believe Luke is addressing several key matters. But I want to focus on three that have application to us today. So you realize in my main points, a little bit different than how I generally do it. Um, but they are, so the first one today is, your ministry is not yours, but Jesus' ministry. Second, your hospitality, mercy, and generosity can leave a lasting impact. And third, your faithfulness can lead to further gospel opportunities. So let's start with main point number one. Your ministry is not yours, but Jesus' ministry. All right, so in verse 32, do you recognize there is this switch from Saul, Saul Paul, to Peter? Luke shows that God was using various people to accomplish his gospel work. Earlier in chapter 9, we saw the conversion of Saul Paul to Christianity on the road to Damascus, and we also saw the beginning of his ministry. And now we read of the Apostle Peter, who was preaching the gospel, Jesus Christ, here and there. And, and he's visiting of the saints. When you hear the word saints, naturally, it's referring to a community of believers. And in, in this um, instance here, it's these saints in little. So why would Luke highlight these two stories? I want you to think about why would he highlight these two stories of all the ministry that Peter did in that region? I'm sure he would have healed other persons, maybe not raised people from the dead, but I'm sure there may have been other healing stories in that region. Right? I think it's because Luke is intentional in setting the stage for what God will do next in chapter 10. However, I'll address that in my third point. So, let's think about it. Peter is on this preaching tour. He's preaching throughout the region. He visits these Christians at Lydon, which is about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. 
And Lida was predominantly, predominantly, sorry, a Jewish town with a mixed population based on what Daryl Elbach says. Now, as we, you know, as I, as, as I think about our church's fifth anniversary, you know, this is a scripture that I, I think is relevant because just like Peter, who, you know, as, as I said here, he's traveling, he's visiting these Christian, the Christian community, and we're reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we call to cherish. And thus, we should not only just cherish and keep it to ourselves, but we must want share it with others as well. So, looking back, you know, we just saw, you know, little snippets in that wonderful video by Sharona there. Um, but looking back, would you say we were intentional? Were we intentional in cultivating disciples in our community? I want you to think about that. In the first story, and little, you know, Peter heals Aeneas, a man bedridden for eight years. I don't, boy, I, I, I don't know how he managed that. Now, anybody who knows my testimony knows that I was paralyzed for some time, um, for a few weeks. And trust me, it was rough. You know, I, up to this day, I have, um, I don't know if you guys know what DBT is, deep brain thrombosis, but I ended up having that because I used to play, I was a sports person, and then was paralyzed. So I ended up with what we will call in Jamaica, blood clots. And that is just a few weeks. This man is bedridden for eight years. Wow. Anyway, so, <laughs> so he's bedridden for eight years, and he's healed. He's healed by the power of Jesus. And many people in Lydda and Sharon put their trust. They put their trust in Jesus Christ as a result of the immediate miracle that took place. Now, again, my mind, you know, I'm just thinking about this. Now, can you imagine the people who would have been caring for Aeneas, right? Um, for those eight years, just to just to see him get out of that bed. Wow. You know, it's fascinating to me that Paul says to him, make your bed, you know. Now, yes, he said he was likely lying on a mat, so I figure it's not such a big deal, right? But because but, I guess he would just fold the mat, right? Make your bed. It's not much of us folded, right? Um, but when you're bending for eight years, how do you go? Understand that saying, don't relieve yourself. Oh, you go. Um, did he use a bed pan again? Why, why is he saying this thing? What is a serious thing? Think about you know the effort to clean himself and the different scents or shamanir. So, what's wrong with this dude? However, that is no longer required. Praise God because he is now healed. Now, I'm telling you, we may think why Sheldon is whatever with the details, but I'm sure Aeneas was quite happy that he never had to go through those things anymore. Eh? <laughs> um, but then in verses 36 to 41, we read about another miraculous story where Peter raised this woman, uh, Tabitha or Dorcas, from the dead, this time in Joppa which is about 12 miles from Lydda, right? So 
and the Joppa was far more a Gentile city than you know, according to the Varet and Bont again. Many people came to faith because Tamito was raised from the dead, right? So think about this in a way, you know, you're hearing a story of a paralytic and a story of someone raised from the dead. No. As I read these two stories, and I'm sure as you guys kind of hear paralytic raised from the dead, I'm sure it, it may have reminded some of you, as I said, as it did me, of Jesus's miracle. Jesus's miracle with the paralytic, if you want, you can jump in Luke 5, it's there in uh, 17 through 26. And when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, right, in Mark 5, 21 to 43. So, if, and again, you would have heard my introduction. So, if that's the case, then we, we expect to see some similarities here. For instance, um, with Daniel and the paralytic in Luke 5, um, we see that both of these were our lives, individuals who were instantly healed. You know, while doctors and Jairus' daughter, you know, both of them um, involve a deceased person coming back to life, again, demonstrating the power of death, the power over death. I would also see in that story with Tamitha and Jairus' daughter as well, the immense joy that came to those who experienced it. Um, in Tabitha and Dorcas' story as well, we also see where Jesus, um, Peter, just like Jesus, he, what he does, he puts out people from the house. Um, so clearly we can see that the, the apostles, and, and again, this is not theme we have been seeing in Mars, right? So we're seeing that the apostles are functioning, they're behaving like Jesus. They're doing what Jesus used to do. So, in essence, what they're doing is they are continuing the work of Jesus. You know, Jesus gave them a mission and they were fulfilling it successfully through his power, through Jesus' power. Now, finally, I've come to what I want us to embrace and apply to our lives, which is that Jesus, the one who does miracles, and saves, essentially, you know, again, think about it. He's the one who does miracles and saves. So essentially, your ministry is not yours. You know, it, it's a reason I have to say that because, I, you know, a lot of times when I um, listen to uh, different Christian programs, I keep on hearing about my ministry and this, and everything is very... Um, me focus and self-centered, right? Um, you don't see that in the book of Acts. Nowhere in the book of Acts. If you realize all the passages were preached so far, Jesus is the one who is credited for everything. Right? So Peter understood this and he made it clear. Matter of fact, um, he knew he was just an instrument. He was just a vessel. So look at verse 34. What did Peter say to Aeneas? He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Wow. Jesus Christ heals you. So 
Peter kept himself humble because he knew where the true power which he was he was wielding came from. Beloved, how can you how can you ensure that your service and ministry are aligned with Jesus's mission and not just your own personal ambitions? Think about that. You know, do you recognize that when Jesus, um, when Peter, again, if you jump in verse 40, do you recognize that Peter knelt down and prayed when he was there with um, Tabitha? You know, he, he realized his reliance or his dependence on God instead of his own ability, you know, in the one place like, bam, get up, you know, he prayed. You know, he was implying that the miraculous works were due to faith in someone, faith in Jesus, the same Jesus who was doing this ongoing ministry. You know, Jeffsy, do you think we step out in faith enough and pray regularly as we should? Well, I'm sure most, if not all, will say no. You know, I want us to always recognize our dependency on Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do the work he has called us to do. You know, God is actively, he's actively doing miracles today. He's still doing it. He's still doing miracles. And while it might not be at that magnitude through a particular set of individuals, like in an early church, He's still doing it. And I want to address something um, which I think is, it, it, might, it, it would be helpful for you to consider this point. So, do you recognize, as we've been looking at the book of Acts, that, the, that miracles were primarily used they were primarily used to authenticate the apostles' work. Which is that, what I'm saying is that miracles were used to kind of, to prove, to say it is, that this work is genuine. You understand? But if that's the case, then it's not necessary anymore. Because it has been proven already. One of the things I'd also say is um, when you see all of these extraordinary miracles in passages, do you ever ask the questions why you're not seeing them today? Yes. Thank you. At least one person said yes. <laughs> um, no. When you ask that question, have you ever asked yourself, has, has things changed? When you ask that questions, have you? And let me tell you where, why I'm going down this road. Because I do believe a lot has changed. And when I say a lot of change, what, what I mean is we don't have apostles like Peter, um, Peter and Paul today. And when, when I say that, I want you to understand clearly what I'm saying. When Peter and the apostle Paul wrote, it became scripture. You understand what I'm saying? 
the prophets in the Old Testament, what they penned became what we have in our Old Testament. You see where I'm going? No. So therefore, there is a difference between the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles, and let me say capital A, um, apostles in the New Testament. Um, for those who would say, all right, but how does that differentiate between people who consider themselves prophets today and apostles? Well, for one, in the Old Testament, if you consider yourself a prophet and, and you prophesy that it didn't come to pass, you're dead, stoned to death. Facts. So many of the people who would consider themselves, they want to think of themselves as a big P today, you don't fulfill that requirement. Um, also, um, apostles, there were two requirements in scripture for apostles. One was that they had to be an eyewitness of Jesus. We saw that in Acts 1, Matthias. We also see that um, with the with what Joel just preached, um, was it last week, right? With Saul in Acts 9. So they had to be eyewitnesses, and two, they had to be commissioned by Jesus. These two very important requirements. So this is what I want you to understand. So again, for those who walk around the place saying they're apostles, <coughs> understand they're not capital A. Um, at best, they are, uh, I would say, maybe pioneer missionaries or church planters or things like that, which is, which is fine. But just on the, what I want you to understand is the difference, right? Um, no, at this point, it's important also for me to, to say that as a church, we do believe that the gift of prophecy continues. Very important. The gift of prophecy continues. And we affirm, you know, the pioneering work of missionaries and church planters. We were church planters five years ago, things like that. But you do have people who plant a lot of churches and people would kind of term them little A apostles today. But I just wanted to kind of understand how we would see it as a church. Hopefully that was clear enough. Um, all right, so having address Jesus being the one who makes ministry successful, not us. Let's move on to our second point. Your hospitality, mercy, and generosity leave a lasting impact. You know, we'll focus on the second story for this point, uh, because verse 36 says, Tabitha did a lot of good work and acts of charity. Basically, she was wealthy and generous, and she gave money to the church. However, she became ill and died, and the believers kept her body in the upper room. Hey, what's going on there? You wouldn't keep the body in the upper room. So, that to me is a clue, the fact that they put her in the upper room, that's a clue that they wanted her to be resurrected. Um, so they put her in the upper room, and then what they do? They sent for two men um, to, the sorry, sent two men to Peter, who was nearby, to come quickly to the halls, to go into the upper room, right? And Peter, 
went in, he saw these widows, they were weeping. They showed him uh, the, the tunics that they were wearing, their garments and clothing. No, that to me is just remarkable. This lady who died, Tabitha, she just blessed the people around her. She was hospitable. Hospitality was her thing. She was generous. And just think about that, those hospitality, merciful, generous. Those are the kind of, you know, if, if, if we were trying to describe her, these were three, three things you would probably say, three adjectives or, you know, you would use for it, it, to describe her, right? You know, hospitality, mercy, and generosity are areas that we see modeled in scripture. Um, it's, it's, and what I love, what I really like about this passage here is that this is a female. It's a female who's exhibiting all of these things. I love that. The other thing too, and which as, as I looked at this passage, um, it explicitly calls Tabitha a disciple. Um, no, that's not something you see in scripture. However, before you guys are quick to correct me, or maybe the women might want to stone me like, oh, last week, um, Joel preached about how the Jews stole Stephen. Um, let me just go through some passages to let you see that, even though it's not explicitly mentioned that they are female disciples. But anyway, um, Luke chapter 8, 1 to 3, if you go there, you see that it mentions three women, um, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, who followed Jesus. And again, as I said, while they were not explicitly called disciples, it's, it's implying um, Phoebe in Romans uh, 16, verse 1, she's referred to as a servant. Some translations um, go as far as to say a deacon of the church, implying that she was a disciple, right? Um, Priscilla, or some translations said Prisca, um, is mentioned several times in the book of Acts. Um, you also see her mentioned in the Pauline um, epistles. Um, we, we know of the popular, um, if you want to call it, scene in Acts 18, where she's there with her husband and um, talking to um, Apollos, who is this eloquent speaker, and she's instructing him. And you think, well, how could she be instructing him? Well, because at least she is a disciple. Um, Mary, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, they also seem to be disciples because we know from their interactions and their hospitality, you know, again, hospitality towards Jesus. You know, Mary's here, and what she's doing, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, right? Listening to him. And what is Mary doing? Mary's serving. Sorry, Martha's serving. And finally, I will also just throw in the women at the tomb as well, who went to anoint Jesus' body after his crucifixion. 
um, naturally they seem to be his disciples. They are indeed the first to witness and proclaim the resurrection. You know, this is monumental for our Christian faith and their testimony. So, in the New Testament time, then, what it means is that women's roles, from what we're seeing, is that women's roles were often restricted, you know. It was often restricted um, more than the men, you know. However, one of the things I, I hope you'd have seen a while ago, just this brief survey that I did, is that women had an active and a vital, they, they served an active, um, and they were active and vital participants in the, the early church. Um, and as I said, while the term disciple may not have been explicitly um, a term that was used, um, certainly their actions, their, you know, their, their dedication um, reflect the essence of what it means to be a follower. Of Christ. Now, two weeks ago, Joel would have shared about Anna and, and Simeon. Now, wh why I'm mentioning that is because the, the writer of Acts is Luke, right? I remember Joel preached on Luke too. So the point that I'm trying to make is Luke seems to have this way to elevate women, and I love that. So you have Anas, um, sorry, you have Anna and Simeon male, female, and, you know, again, you know, I think what he's, he's doing in a sense is almost challenging the, the gender stereotypes that existed in the church community then, and I'm grateful for that. Um, because as we think about it, you know, women have just contributed um, significantly in so many valuable ways um, to the church. And we don't want to limit this to just domestic roles. You know what I mean? That's actually why I'm taking my time to talk about Tabitha. You, know? you see what it, you know, it's not just um, domestic roles, also through their leadership. Possibly as deacons, I mentioned earlier about Phoebe, um, and their compassionate works, like a topical. No, I know many of you are going to say, but, but you guys are just, okay? Well, while we at GFC, we do not affirm um, female elders or pastors based on what we see in the scriptures, like First Timothy 2.12 and other passages. Um, I just hope that you guys understand that we, we never look at this as a capability issue. We look at this as trying to be true to scripture. And, um, but I, I hope, I'm hoping that Tabitha would serve as a model for the women in this church. All right, so her dedication to service and the esteem, um, which she earned within the community, I believe offers a powerful example of how women can actively contribute to the church and make a lasting impact on the lives of others. So let me just ask a question here. You know, what barriers prevent you from being more hospitable, merciful, 
are generous. And how can you overcome them? You know, our acts of kindness can build a legacy that resonates with others and inspires them to do the same. Can you imagine the work of the women? Again, you know, this is my mind again. Can you just imagine the, the, the work of the women to wash her and lift her dead body in an upper room and lay it down? It shows that they really, they really cherished her, and they really wanted her to be resurrected. You, for you to put, take all that effort, because they wanted her. That's why they had those two men go to power Peter. They wanted her to be resurrected. She had a lasting impact on them. When Peter went into the place, they were weeping. They were showing. Peter, the things that she did, she she made these tunics for, for them. And you, know, you, you guys are getting the picture. Fascinating, you know, phenomenal woman. But I'll tell you something though. Tabitha was raised from the dead. Waiting happened to her. She died again. However, <laughs> just just like what we sang, just just like Lazarus, he was raised and died again. Um, just, like, just like what we sang this morning. But there is a day, that day, hallelujah, that day when we will take on immortality and death will be no more. No more tears, no more friction and strife. As we said, valoration. No, let me go. Crosses. Right? We look to that day. That's why in our DNA, you see that? Expect Jesus' return. We look to that day. You know, I just want to highlight a few ways in which Peter himself showed um, Tabitha hospitality. And I believe this was from what he learned from Jesus dealing with Jairus' daughter, right? Peter responded what? Immediately. He also limited the weaknesses, put them out, <laughs> and he gave her personal attention. I mean, look at the language here. He turned and spoke to her. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented. Oh man, that sounds good. Why Peter, you do a good job there, man. He, that don't sound personal. It don't sound hospitality. The way he treated her. You know, Tabitha was someone who cared for others. And look at this. In God's kindness, she was also received in special care from Peter, the leader of the early church. Meanwhile, when I say Slamsman, I'm just grateful to them. God is just, you know, Jesse, how can, how can, you know, how can we be generous? How, how, you know, how can generosity in your time Talents or resources 
impact someone's life and point them to Christ. So that's why you think about it. How can generosity in your time, your talents and resources, impact someone's life and point them to Christ? Think about that. Because I do believe what we're kind of seeing in the scripture is that there's more happens when we do exhibit these kind of qualities. You know, this is, again, I'm pointing to another thing in our DNA here at this point, but this is one of the reasons why we at Grace Family Church take the C in our DNA, care for others, seriously. We believe that it is a principle. It's a principle from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, I could give you so many stories. But, you know, it, it is expressed, you know, the, the care for others is expressed in how we think about our service, how we preach, how we give, how we acknowledge others, how we check in on others and so forth. We have received so much from Jesus, the one who did not need to be hospitable, merciful, and generous to us. But he died on the cross, demonstrating that for us so that we can emulate that in a few ways that are just kind of So having discussed how our hospitality and mercy and generosity may be impactful, let's go on to our third and final point. Your faithfulness can lead to further gospel opportunities. Now, I believe this point kind of encompasses the whole passage, to be honest, from verse 32 to 43. However, what I want to do, I want to start with uh, the last verse, right? I'll start with verse 43, where, where it says that Peter stayed for many days in Joppa with Simon Tanner, right? Now, as if you hear the word Tanner, one of the things that, um, you know, if you've done a little study on this, is that that would be an unclean person. There would be someone who would be taking care of the animals. And as you guys are aware, um, that kind of thing would be despised by the Jews, right? So, so the fact that he just stayed with him to me is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. It also, to me, shows that as Peter became a Christian, he may not have been so, I guess I'd say, overly preoccupied with some of the Jewish laws and stuff like that. Um, yet, we know when we read in Acts 10 that he still has some reservations. But, but Peter will still be in Joppa where he has a vision. Again, I'm talking about what happens in Acts 10 here, where you know he gets invited to Cornelius's house, right? And Cornelius is a gentile. And we know this will eventually lead to the salvation of, and when you hear Gentiles, we're really talking about the non-Jews, right? The non-Jews who will become saved. But as I said, it's interesting because as you read the narrative, what we'll see, um, and Joel will tackle that next week, 
is Kita has reservations. He has reservations to stay and eat with these gentlemen. Now, I'm just grateful to God when I think of the outcome. Because let's 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 see if we're tracking what's happening here. So from in Acts 1, we remembered um Jesus tells them, look, you know, you guys are going to be witnesses, right? You're going to be witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're seeing. It started off in Jerusalem, then it went into Judea, and in some sense where Peter's doing ministry right now in Judea. But you would have remembered a few weeks ago when I preached about what took place in Samaria and the Samaritans got saved. So you would so if you're tracking from Acts 1 to this point, the only part that is left now is what? For the Gentiles to be saved. And therefore, I believe the reason why Luke um shows that Peter is in Joppa is because um, in Acts 10, that is where they're going to send forth for Peter to go to go to Cornelius' house. So this this is right before that monumental thing will take place, one of the most crucial things that take place um, in the book of Acts, and you'll hear Joel um, preaching that next Sunday. But just think about that, you know, there, so there, there's this expansion, expansion, as I said, of this narrow, limited group. Remember before, you know, if you weren't a, a Jew, as we were saying, Jamaica, God name is suffer. It was limited to the Jews. It's now expanded because the Samaritans are the mixed breed, so it's Jewish mixed. And then now, once it reached Gentiles, it's everyone. Um, so... But there's something I want I want us to think about here. Yet, and again, I don't want to preach Joel's sermon, but what's interesting is, you know, after Peter gets this wonderful revelation and, you know, Gentiles become saved, Peter goes with his Jewish believers and what he does, he starts separating himself from the Gentiles again and is showing his reservation. It's interesting because he was the leader of the church, right? He's the leader of the church, but I would say he wasn't working 100% with God program if that's the case. And I, I, to some extent, do you recognize we all have blind spots? And we need God. And we need others, just like how Paul had to, Paul, you know, had to go and repeat our being frustrated. Um, so in what ways can you demonstrate faithfulness to God's calling, even when it is challenging? Ask yourself that. Now, naturally, this is, this is my third point, and when I'm, the point that I'm trying to make is, as we are faithful, it, it leads to further gospel opportunities. Let's not just focus on verse 43 and onwards, but let's focus back on our passage with, with the two healings now. In a sense, would you agree that because Peter was what? 
he was faithfully ministering. What the Bible said, he was going here and there, and he was faithfully ministering. What happened? That's how those two miraculous opportunities came out. That's how he was able to heal Aeneas and raise Tabitha from the dead. So, so the reality is, we as a church need to think about, you know, think about in what ways can you prepare yourself to be more receptive to opportunities? Think about that. To be receptive to opportunities that may lead to others' salvation. Or just simply be faithful to continue doing what you're doing. Don't give up. Be faithful. Be faithful in the ministry that God has called you to do. JFC, do you recognize that your faithfulness in small acts can open doors to greater works and wider audiences? That's what we're seeing here. Just as Peter's ministry expanded from healing and resurrection to, as I said next week, into the salvation of the Gentiles, your steadfastness, your faithfulness can pave the way for unforeseen gospel opportunities. Isn't that a good way to, to start the year off in 2024? Opportunities. There are opportunities that the Lord will give to us if we are faithful this year. Think about that. So I believe our faithfulness can lead to growth in this GFC community. And the spread of the gospel. Much like what we see with Peter, um, the ripple effect of Peter's miracles. So, as I close, let me just give you the big picture and then I'll conclude. So, the big picture of my sermon this morning is Jesus continues his ministry through believers, and their faithfulness may lead to others' salvation. Just think about that. Jesus continues his ministry through believers. And their faithfulness may lead to other salvation. So, what's one of the things we're going to do this year? We're going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful with the little that Jesus can give us to do and allow Him to open up opportunities for us. So, Jesus is building His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His ministry, not ours, will be successful. Despite what we might think or see in this lifetime. Hospitality, mercy, and generosity can profoundly serve others and lead people to trust and glorify God. Likewise, your faithfulness may open doors, encouraging others to place their trust in Christ. You have just listened to a message by Sheldon Campbell, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.